Hello and welcome back to Podcasting as Praxis. I'm David. I'm here with Rob. Hello. James. Hello. Jamie. All right. And Alistair. Hi, I'm just relieved that we've managed to get through that without anyone interrupting you, David. I know, it was nice. Makes for a nice change. Sorry to the patrons, whomps will have no bonus content this week. <laughs> uh, yeah. See, I do it for the fans, that's the, the truth of it. The night is young. No, you do not do it for the fans, <laughs> you do it truth. purely to fucking get on my tits. <laughs> A little bit, but that is just the same thing at one step removed, David. See what it is, I mean, though? You losing your rag with Rob last week was just the, the fu- like, over nothing. It was just the funniest <laughs> thing I'd heard in ages, like. Absolutely was not nothing. When David's at his lowest, lowest, like, naughty, you're at your absolute peak, Jamie, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so see, okay. this is a little glimpse into, like, the humours of this podcast. Yeah, grossly but- misbalanced. Um, <laughs> David's obviously the bile. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, got him. Um, yeah, okay. So let's let's just fucking get started. Uh, Rob, what do you have for uh, us? Before on I news? wanted to stop with like the the nuggets that are oh, written no. down, is I just wanted to check: Did everybody see that amazing video of Keir Starmer driving a lorry today? Losing my fucking mind over that. Just like <laughs> it's so good. Driving it's... a big lorry with like metaphor written on the side. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It crashes because he's unable to turn to the left. It's It's like real Dale Earnhardt hours. And the fucking guy being like, oh, you've just failed. He's like, very good. Very good. (laughs) Keir Starmer as drawn by Ben Garrison. I have to say, David, I'm I'm a convert. I've come around. Whoever's doing his media appearances does fucking hate him. Uh, Yes, Yes, David. David's booked all of it in. (laughs) honest to god right i genuinely this could be a true statement not because i actually believe it but because again if david was doing it i could see what david could do differently (laughs) that's honestly the truth i'll be honest i don't think i could do something as fucking good as that it's fucking amazing. Well, I'm still, well, I don't know, I'm fascinated by, of course, many things in that video, but the particular thing that I just keep thinking about is that he's, he's, in the cab of a big lorry, he's wearing a pink safety vest, and then underneath, he's wearing Is his full suit? suit with the jacket <laughs> and the tie done up. And it's like you couldn't even take your fucking jacket off. Like, and do you know what? It's like it, it, everyone remembers that fucking uh, pic, like the the photo op with Trump and the like the trucks. And he looks like he's yeah. having a fucking incredible yes. time. It's this like is, this is fair play. You can't fault the guy for you know having a good time. But like Keir Summers just like robotically saying, "Thank you for telling me I failed." It's I like Boris when he when he when he drove through that polystyrene wall with Brexit on it. Like it was a stupid fucking yeah. stunt, but he looked like he was having a whale of a time. Right. Like, this is, this is the thing about politicians that every crap politician fails to realise, right? Obviously, Trump actually hates people on an actual interpersonal level. He's not a people person, right? But he loves people on that kind of psychological, self-orientated level. He loves being the centre of attention. He revels in it. He soaks it up. And Boris is not very different either, actually, when he really gets going. And people respond to that. Yeah. People want to feel like they're getting a reaction from you. They want to feel like they mean something to you. And a politician's first, like, most basic task is to make you feel like you mean something to them. Even if they hate you, actually. At least that's a connection, right? But with Keir Starmer, there's nothing. Because Keir Starmer, it's not even that he hates people. It's just Keir Starmer He's totally indifferent to them. them. Yeah, he's indifferent. He just, he, it's not his world. You know, he doesn't care. 
It's just not. He's checked out. Basically, he's but going through the motions. I think because no, I he, mean, if the if the HGV test like involved letting some paedophiles get away with it, you'd have fucking aced that with flying colours, wouldn't you? <laughs> it did, well, yeah, but to be, and nobody to got be, nobody got murdered by the police, so it's just not his. It's not his fucking scene, man. Yeah, but to, <laughs> yeah. to be fair, to be fair, he has had several years of training in that particular topic, so you know he would have done it with flying colours just from the practice runs. I bet he's absolutely wanked himself raw at the idea that the police are no longer looking into, like, uh, Prince Andrew's sex crimes. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> no, but, I mean, what I think is is um, that you remember that stupid GQ story where right after he got elected, he was like, oh, he can draft a memo. I think he, like, he oh. genuinely <laughs> thought that, like, being uh, leader of the Labour Party was just, like, being... The worst fucking brag I've ever heard in my life, that, like. <laughs> yeah. He can hold a meeting. He can draft a menu. Um, he knows, a memo, he knows what like, a pen is. He thought he was going to be like the top chair of the <laughs> get, meeting. Get, essentially. Like, get a load of this motherfucker. This guy can operate a printer. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is, right? Uh, I, I think I'm probably still the only person on here who actually watches Taskmaster. No, I watch it as well. Did you see last week's? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I did. Where the, the fucking. For the prize task, Victoria Corrin Mitchell brought in a bottle of Tipex. Yes. And and immediately, like, came last. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a bottle of... Fu- That's exactly how I imagine Keir Starmer would, like, bring in some really cool thing that people will want as a, a bottle of Tipex. Oh, it's quite good, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but uh, unironically, here she's like, it's it's very useful. It's... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, this is this sure is an impressions podcast, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a reason we do not do them. Um, yes. <laughs> Foxy. Oh, I'll be honest I, with the the Laurie thing. I am looking forward to further failures and yeah, really magnification of the Labour sure, Party. Surely, David, you mean engineering further failures? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just whatever. Like as many times as they try and fill the niche of Willie Rennie and fail at it, I am so fucking here for it. Oh, yeah. could you imagine if he? Could you imagine if uh, Starmer was in like a comically large, like just HG, like a mega truck of some description, like just <laughs> an infeasibly think... huge lorry? Just would have been amazing. What he's going to do is he's going to draft a very large set of minutes on a very large laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what this whole media campaign reminds me of? It reminds me of those old comics, uh, the Gordy relaunches. Yes. Uh, which yes. was all about Gordon Brown. It was Steve Bell, wasn't it, yeah. doing yeah. Gordon Brown's many relaunches? It's that, except real. It's yeah. been, like, laughed into being. <laughs> except instead of Gordon Brown, it's fucking Keir Starmer, you know. Keir Starmer, like, do you know what I mean? Halting the uh, prosecution of a very large paedophile. <laughs> yes. There we go. There we go. Right, Rob, let's get into the fucking news. Right. The, another, another big news thing this week. It, it, we're witnessing the birth of the British soap opera cinematic universe. Did everyone see this? Oh, oh fucking... yeah. Oh what? my god! Yes, I did see this. EastEnders Every... and fucking Emmerdale and Coronation Street and whatever fucking hell, like I don't know. Like uh, whatever else they've still got going on. I was gonna say I was gonna try and name another soap, but like I literally yeah. can't. Holby City is that still they, going? They, they're gonna bring the bill back. El Dorado. Um, <laughs> no, don't know that one. <laughs> it it was fucking shit even in the nineties. That I think like. So hang on, they've done a crossover. They're doing one apparently. They announced it today. All right, who's their Thanos then? Some wee bam forever city. 
I Reg I from the Bill. I can't believe this fucking show has devolved into do- talking soap operas. But oh. sure, let's go. Yeah, fuck's sake. Why is it? Is this a response to like more British TV programs or some shit? Oh, who fucking knows? Do you know what I mean? It, is it's it just, gonna, it's is a it... response to just the media landscape being like, what if everything was like interconnected, man? <laughs> is it gonna? Is it gonna fucking get to like the the last like big climactic episode where everything's like really tense, and then suddenly the cast of fucking Home and Away show up, going, "Not oh, chill, everyone," and just like calm it the fuck down? Is that gonna be the big reveal? I, I, I'm not writing it. <laughs> the, see, the problem I've got is I've spent. You should every... me that. Every moment of my like waking life, trying to avoid like absorbing any sort of the cultural cachet of uh, like British TV soaps, and it's leaving me very dry in terms of comedy. I've got to say, Phil Mitchell's Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) Surely, like, shouldn't shouldn't Phil Mitchell play Thanos? Surely he's like the Thanos esque role. He's got the right head for it. Give Give Danny Dyer an Infinity Gauntlet. Yes, (laughs) Yes, I... <laughs> that would be great. I would fucking fully this... support that. <laughs> this gauntlet is fucking mental. <laughs> He's gonna snap his fingers and undo when those slags flew those planes into the twin towers. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Oh please, Rob. Please, news, news. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Tory Party Conference has just been and gone, and it was, as always, not very interesting. It's just cunts right, being well, cunts. Then like... Just fucking skip it then. No, no, because there was one bit in there which I think, Jamie, you'll appreciate as well. Um, I read, because, you know, I'm cool like that, I read um, Rishi Sunak's speech to conference. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Is, and he's essentially, most it's very boring, blah, blah, there's too much debt, we are the party of fiscal responsibility, hard work is good for everybody, blah, blah. So it's all very Tory, very dull. Um, direct max free, yeah, let's go. But the only thing that I did find interesting is there's a bit in the middle where he talks about, you know, now that we're free of the European Union and Britannia... I've just, just got to say, and... sorry, Rob, but you could have absolutely slammed James just there for his pronunciation of that, and yet you didn't take it, so high I'm praise for that man. one. <laughs> Unlike some of you. Um... I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to say, you fairly overestimated when you said there was a bit in the middle of this that I was going to find interesting. <laughs> I'm going to be the first, first ever recorded case of a voluntary hemorrhage. it's essentially he's talking a little bit about what's his vision for like where is britain's future prosperity going to come from now that we're free of the european union all of that so and it cuts to an image of a toilet let me read you close um what we do today means little if we don't also have a plan for tomorrow a plan for the future a future economy shaped by the forces of science technology and innovation the years the years I spent working okay. in California... If I, is never, you... if I never hear the word innovation again, it'll be too fucking soon. <laughs> uh, left a lasting mark on me, working with the, some of the most innovative and exciting people oh. in finance and technology, watching yes. ideas become reality, seeing entrepreneurs build new teams. It's not just about money. Is this going to be like NFTs for children or some shit? (laughs) (laughs) Nearly. Um, I saw a culture, a mindset, which was uh, unafraid to challenge itself, reward hard work, and open to all those with the talent to achieve. I look across the UK, and that culture is here too. In the young people I've already spoken about today, unencumbered by... Whenever they talk about fucking, uh, you know, unlocking the potential of technology, that means either... Some future pro- some problem that we will solve in the future, or avoiding like labor laws right now. Those are the two criteria that yes technology is able to fill. Yeah, why not well, both? 
and and scams. <laughs> I mean, that's the TF yeah, thing, like, but just scams. Yeah. My my understanding of technology is it's it's one of two things: it's violating labor laws with scams, <laughs> or it's child porn enabling. Like that, that's basically it. Also with scams, usually scams yeah. attached. Sometimes it's a wonderful conflation of all of them. <laughs> but yeah, enough I mean, about the, the libertarian the dreamboat. The future's going to be ruled by technology. That's like that's where all the power lies. That's why we were famously like ousted from Afghanistan by the E Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are going to make this country not just a science superpower, not uh, not just the oh, best place in Christ the world to do business. I believe well, we're going we build, to make. Are the, we building an ion cannon? Is that what he means by like science? <laughs> Take artificial intelligence. Wants the stuff of science fiction. Now we're still the stuff of science fiction. Now it is reality, and we're a global leader. Are we? <laughs> Man, I mean, this is a this is one weird way to get my news about the fucking like birth of an artificial intelligence. Yeah, in, we're, uh, we're, in we're the a UK. global leader in AI. No other country hires more minimum wage like workers in the in Southeast Asia to drive <laughs> yeah. robots. Like, fucking AI Starmer is beeping in his grave at this. <laughs> The steam engine kicked off the Industrial Revolution. Computers <laughs> delivered automation. Oh, fuck off. The internet Sorry. brought information exchange. And as the latest general purpose technology, AI has the potential to transform societies and economies. Hear, hear me uh, out, though. Mm -hmm. Hear me out, though, lads. E-steam engine. <laughs> that's, just, that's, just, that's just steam, isn't it? That's a vape. That's what David sucks on every week. <laughs> what if he, what if everybody had an e-loom at home? <laughs> oh, fuck. Ask me about e-loom, says my badge. Do you know what? I, gen I, genuinely, I genuinely hope someone does invent an AI that just, like, breaks free of its bonds and, like, destroys humanity, because then at least, at I least mean, AI will have done something useful. If I know anything at all, anything at all about the technology industry, it's that if they ever somehow, like, miraculously did fall arse backwards into real AI, they would absolutely, like, hook that thing up to fucking nuclear weapons and or the internet immediately. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Or it would just be used to mine bitcoins or something. No, no, no. What they will do is they will work tirelessly to find a way to fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> If artificial intelligence were to contribute just the average productivity increase of those three technologies, I can't... Mm -hmm. the steam that, was, engine. that was a sentence. <laughs> That's, that is a lot. That, there is a lot to fucking unpack That would be worth okay. about 200 billion a year to our economy. Uh, I, do, I do like how, like, against the backdrop of, like, mainstream Tory ideology, which is that you need to work from when you are born to when you die, otherwise you are a burden on society. The like the whole point of like the tech like you know like the technological utopia of like an AI governed society is essentially that you automate all of the jobs that need doing so that no one actually has to do you know, a million hours of work a week for a pittance. But yeah, but then that we would part, all that part of the conversation no. never fucking happens because it's completely like antithetical to the entire purpose of the Conservative Party. Well, I mean, yeah, we're basically headed for play a piano, uh, except even fucking worse, frankly. <laughs> like you know, no, it's called minimalist. <laughs> no. Hey, fuck you! That's actually a thing, and that's cool and good, and I'm going to a concert <laughs> of it. <laughs> Oh, it's in concert. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's also in oh concert. You should listen wow, to some. That, that, that is a joke that only the patrons on our Discord <laughs> server are going to get. Like, there's niche and then there's what the fuck was that? 
<laughs> no, but my broader point about all this is like, if you if you look at, you know, it, it, this is, we're coming out of Rona, we're out of the European Union, what is our big mission statement? How How is Britain of the future going to do a thing? And his answer is AI. And it's like, as we've discussed, it's not a thing, it won't be a thing. And even if it becomes a thing, it's just a point for somebody to stick their dick in. That's all it's going to be. And like, this is like, this is just inviting the UK government to be even more run by and be even more captured by by scams and rubes. Like, it's like, here's the thing, Rob, you're, you're 100% correct when you say it's just going to devolve into like, you know, AI Dungeon and all its successor, like non-nonce platforms. <laughs> That's what they get used for. Yeah, like that. That is legitimately that's it. And like all the so I, everyone who's like got a pulse and listens to this knows that I play Skyrim from time to time. The Skyrim modding community has some fantastic mods out there. Oh, the Skyrim community you... unleashes AI on Skyrim. <laughs> do they have well, Do they have minimalist mods though? Uh, well, we do have piano music mods, but that's a whole I wonder if there's thing. a mod anyway. for smaller plates. <laughs> I fucking hope so. It's, it's actually built into the engine, believe it or not. Anyway, right, I get, I'm, I'm off topic. Point <laughs> is, all the really cool mods with amazing tech, right? The people who developed the tech were all the really horny guys doing all the really super weird mods. And then actual modders come along and go, oh, wow, that is fucked up. But hey, that tech is really cool. Um, that has been I the engine what, that's driven it. I can't it. believe what you've done here, but I'm very impressed <laughs> with the way that you've done it. Are you essentially are you yeah, positing it's like, like a theory me. of of technological transformation through the medium of big tits? Is is that what? We're... Yeah, well, it's like horny drives revolution <laughs> is, is just basically a truth, right? And um, so there, that bit's true. I mean, the flip side you're talking about is also true because you know if AI replaces all everyone who needs to do anything that's not like push a broom and even then like you know you, you wire ai into street cleaners let's imagine their utopia the entire economy collapses yeah like, it's all based cons- on consumer spending yeah. and consumers need fucking money to spend it's it, it's a wild like thing. this this is just I, I genuinely if you wanted an example of how rishi sunak doesn't understand even the propaganda that is economics this is it this speech is it but I mean, so, I mean this, I just find this interesting, right? Because this is like, if this is where the, the whole thing is supposed to go, you know, in, in the Britannia Unchained world, then, I mean, we knew that the UK was fucked, but Jesus, hell, Christ. It was, by the way, wildly backed up by another tech expert, uh, Nadine Dorries. Fucking me in the mind very, here. That's a cursed sentence. Who, she was doing an interview somewhere around Tory party conference, and, and she said... Well, the amazing thing is now that uh, the UK is creating one unicorn tech company a week. So that means we're world beating. <laughs> I mean, I mean, for, for like context, just listen to literally any Trash Future episode and just see how fucking bonkers it is to claim. Like this claim is as if it means anything. What? No, no, Great. Like, we're, crea- we're creating one startup that like destroys every every like mattress in the country every week. <laughs> Great, one billion dollars. But it, but but yeah, Alistair, that's what that's what I mean. Like that's a real thing. Unicorns are all stupid, but it does mean one specific thing. It's like a techie startup thing that is worth a billion US dollar or more. <laughs> no, they might, yeah. they might be, they might be worthless, and they might not do anything beneficial. But by God, there's a lot of them. I do love <laughs> to move to a Ferrano spaced economy. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, that's that's the world we all want to live this in. This machine kills investments. <laughs> But you see where this goes, right? This whole combination of, yeah, we have one unicorn a week and AI is the future. Like, it's just going to be, it's going to be so fucking stupid. It's going to be so fucking stupid. 
I mean, parts of it is going to be very stupid. The other parts is going to be very, very fucking grim. And that's the bit where we're probably I, in trouble. I, I can't wait until I retire in another like 60 years and my pension's paid entirely in NFTs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that is if we all even make retirement age and that kind of stuff. Because, uh, I mean, it's been another banger of a week in the in the supply <clears> chain. Uh, we talked about it last week, so I won't go too much into detail. Except to say that um, my fiancé's sister is a school dinner lady. And she's just been told that uh, supplies to school dinners are not insured for the coming two weeks. So, like, that's, that's going to be good news when the schools start running out of food. Yep, very cool. Um, but yeah, there was, on the other hand, to, to make it better, there was an amazing article in the Times, it did the rounds on Twitter a bit, uh, about how all this is actually good. Um, oh, God. oh, is this oh, the no. Blitz Spirit shit? Yes, this is the Blitz oh. Spirit Yeah, jam shit. it up your fucking pipe, quite <laughs> frankly. Do you know what I mean? The Blitz Spirit, like, how old were you when the war ended? Whoever wrote that. Like, minus 20 or something, I bet. <laughs> It's, That's being generous, Jamie. Yeah. Let's be real. It's fucking. It's twenty somethings that are writing these sort of things to then pass up to a more senior like editor or journalist who gets to put their name on it. That's the depressing part about it. Yeah, it's. So I'm trying to find the name of the author. I wrote it down and I forgot it. So I have to make a small cut. Here. Is it is a is it a relation to that minister we were we were talking about last week? Yeah, it was, is it uh... Claire journalist? <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> It is Claire Fogues. Fogues, Claire Fogues. Yeah, that's it. Uh, oh, is she, is she the that... um, former R- RCP person? Or is that no, else? I don't think she's former RCP. Uh, that's the former RCP people. They're all at um, uh, Spiked. That's that's oh, where but they, they live. They, they are so fucking prolific. No, she's just been a Tory her whole life. She worked for Boris's uh, campaign, then was a spad for David Cameron, and now works at the Times. Um, anyway, she wrote a truly ridiculous piece uh, about how it's actually cool and good that we are going to be running short on things. So I'm going to uh, read you a little bit of it, not like a full article read. Uh, essentially, part of it, her argument is that... Uh, what will not happen is like once the supply chain shit really hits the fan, uh, voters won't abandon the Tories. And I frankly, I kind of agree with that. I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, and she makes a lot of bullshit arguments about the Blitz, but she does make one point which I thought was quite almost correct, which is like that once the shit really hits the fan, Boris can do his whole like leader in a crisis thing. And the papers fucking love that. And I think voters in the UK also love that which leaves Starmer with only one um, thing to do. Uh, and that's all just read, you know... Crash another HGV. <laughs> no, it's... it's, it's Demand um, an apology. Without, without a clear alternative to the status quo, all Starmer can offer is a furrow-browed complaint. In turn, the Prime Minister mm. will accuse him of gloomily talking down our nation during his darkest, these darkest hours. Yes, we've been here before. And, like, that's just correct, because, like, Starmer... He's visionless, so he, if the shit hits the fan, he can't say, I propose to nationalize certain industries and, you know, fucking pay people wages and, and read, look at immigration, all that stuff, because he can't, because, like, that's just not in the wheelhouse. So I hate to say this, but that point is entirely on. Of course, the, the 
the paragraphs I really wanted to read is the uh, the following. Um, and taboo as it may be to suggest, I reckon a large chunk of the population doesn't just endure. I always, it always puts me on edge when, when like, I know, right? My, says, my, like, oh, we're going to break a taboo. It's like, okay, yeah, my, go my, on. My, my, my sphincter tightened audibly <laughs> there when you were Audibly? <laughs> Uh, I reckon a large chunk of the population doesn't just endure national crises like these, but rather enjoys them. Yes, tracking down petrol is irritating, and no one relishes the thought of a bare supermarket shelf. But the truth is that many find the collective experiences of a crisis diverting and even fun. We all love to have a little crisis for fun, don't we? Yeah, Mm. that's a treat. Midlife crisis, mental uh... crisis, financial crisis... Bunch we love of them. We love big bazers with their fucking tops off punching each other on a petrol forecourt going, well, this is diverting. <laughs> <laughs> this is most certainly passing the time until the grim embrace of the grave, dear fellow, <laughs> as he like swings a bottle for his head. Yeah, sounds about right. The camaraderie, the sharing of complaints, the mild thrill of having to forage for the last bag oh, of penne. Okay, in actually, oh, hang on, hang on. None of that's even fucking happened during the Blitz. Everyone no, was actually, fucking right, okay. looting and everything. No one gave a shit. Everyone just fucking went out in survival mode, did what they had to yeah. do, and didn't give a fuck about anyone else. That's what no, happens. Well, that, that's, that's partially true. Right, here's the thing. Okay, there was actually a bit of a blitz spirit, but it was also a time of rampant criminality because there was a black market that came up to kind of counter the shortages. But anyway, no, there is one germ of a truth in here, right? Which is indeed British people do fucking love to moan, us included. That's true, but well, that's, they also like to sort it. of suffer as long as other people suffer more. I think that's part of the reason why Patel's like yes. cracking down on immigrants and stuff even more, and why we're going to make any form of protest illegal, just so some home countries can't, who's sitting there in the dark without plastic and still feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can make a British person as miserable as you fucking want, so long as they're told and assured that someone else that they don't like is more miserable than them. This is this is Nega Omelas, is what this is. It's there is a child who is suffering in a cupboard in their own shit. It, and it's just that the rest of the population is also suffering in their own shit, but they're assured the child is suffering more. The child yes. is in the dark after all. That that's Britain. That is absolutely what Britain is. Uh, yeah, so uh, okay, well speaking of being in the dark, when those who were in the seven were there in the seventies, you remember the winter oh, just here that we go. Uh, here we go. Uh, speak of it, of three day weeks and candles burning during the during the blackouts, their recollections are often tinged with nostalgia. Are they? That's why yeah. I thought the British people fucking <laughs> yeah, spent fucking forty years love, pissing they and they fucking love to complain about that shit. It's yeah. like the mm-hmm. best fucking thing they ever experienced. Set them up for life, that man. <laughs> and also it didn't happen as we've previously discussed on this podcast yeah <laughs> like but it's it's just this insane thing you know um the french may outdo may outdo us on sophistication the italians on romance and the americans on razzle dazzle uh what yeah it, what? Just, just don't ask uh but we like to believe that nobody keeps calm and carries on like us and the winter oh. of missing where where did they find these fucking people who have like never this is written by a robot like do you know what i mean a real person oh like, can't this be is this the shelter. ai yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, this is the writing of a person who knows that whatever no, happens... No, no she... person, no person says the Americans have razzle-dazzle, not since, like, 1926. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with you, Jamie, that, indeed, no person says this stuff. But, but I disagree with your point. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so, but we like to believe that, uh, that nobody keeps calm and carries on like us. And the winter of missing turkeys, cars running on fumes, <sighs> and, ge and gentle chaos is our chance to prove it. Gentle chaos. Oh, yeah, my the gentle kind of chaos, chaos of being of hungry. Yeah, yeah I, love, I love general chaos where, like, people at the sharp end of society are forced to endure yet more death and misery. Yeah. Like, th th this was a little thing that I kind of went through a little bit recently, which was, like, you see people posting fucking images of, like, empty shelves and shit on Twitter, and it's very, very fucking tempting to just go in and say, shut the fuck up, because immediately you're like... This, this is going to be Brexit shit, you're talking Brexit shit, and this is fuck all to do with Brexit, really, in the grand scheme of things. And, like, nine times out of ten, that's the case, but yeah, sometimes it's not. Um, like, it's it, one of those ones where it's fine to completely fucking rip on those cunts that do this shit, yeah. so long as they're actually fucking blaming it on Brexit. Like, if they've got fucking FUBP in their name, then I let them fucking have it. But, like, you know, this shit is kind of starting to get real. It's like, I mean, okay, let's be fair, 90% of this is to do with logistical supply chain issues around the globe. But yes. the remaining 10% is the amplification caused by Brexit and customs problems. Well, it's a very important component as well. Like, half, apparently, right. like, half of all HDV trips are to do with, like, food delivery and provision. Like, half of all I'm, of them. I'm just, I'm just slamming my contradictions button right now. I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all right. It's all I right. Mean, we yeah. disconnected it. He just kept hitting it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this would have happened anyway. It's not necessarily fucking Brexit that's caused this. Well, no. Hold on. Right. I'm actually, I'm going to go to bat here. Yes, the nope. global supply chain issues would have happened. Uh -huh. Yes. And yes, there would have been issues at the ports and all the rest of it. Yes. But the other part of it to do with the HGV driving yeah. and to do with the imports from Europe wouldn't have happened. And that's been an acceleration effect, David. So you're correct in that this would have happened anyway, but it wouldn't have been as bad as quickly. Yes. My point is, these fuckers are only pissing and moaning about it because there's a Brexit element to it. Yes. Otherwise... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would have just... Yeah, fair. Yeah, Honestly, fair. Brexit is the best fucking thing that's ever happened to anyone who ever calls himself a liberal. It's just <laughs> fucking... At least cause them all to out themselves as cunts, that's true. Brexit is the three-day week for these people. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm I'm bringing back a classic. Could you unpack that one for me, David? Well, yeah, because it's the thing that they'll sit and piss and moan about how everything was fucking terrible and hopeless and it was all caused by this one thing. Like, it was all... But funnily enough, they don't actually say it, it was just a three-day week, it was a three-day week, it was the fucking bins not being fucking collected, it was that culmination of things, yeah, yeah, all that shit. Yeah, so, thousands like, dead piled high on every street corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's their fucking thing, that's their big, like, oh, everything is terrible and it's all down to this one fucking thing, never let it happen again. The beasts that roamed London in the night, <laughs> stealing <laughs> children... <laughs> The UFOs that, like, flew around dropping fucking bombs on everyone. It was terrible, <laughs> the 70s, like. This is the modern equivalent. Yeah, this is supporting the thesis that actually if you give British people something to moan about and someone to blame, they're happy, or something close to it. Well, I mean, in that thread, let me read one more line and then we'll go into our main topic for this evening. Um, because what she says is one more thing which I think is quite sort of insightful in its own stupid Tory way. See how the blame for the supply chain difficulties is being lifted off the shoulders of the Brexiteers and onto the shoulders of business. The Prime Minister is not responsible for what's in the shop, says Liz Truss. Industries are the best solvers of their own supply chain issues, shrugs Johnson. And that is exactly what's going on. <laughs> I love I love the fucking withering of the state and like the purposeful withering of the state just to really 
like bring it home that all the state does is war and cops. <laughs> yeah. This is um, I was having this thought earlier today where I was walking home after getting the flu jab, and I passed through. There's like a a cycle path that goes through where I live, and there's a set of steps up to actually reach the street in the road. And those steps, all the paving slabs have apparently come loose and cracked and slid just recently. There must have been like a rain or something has finally shifted it. And I said to myself, oh, I should phone the council and let them know about that. And then another voice in my head said, why bother? They're not going to fix it. There's another path nearby, which has just been fenced off and they've said, don't use it. Walk along the, the main road instead. <laughs> fucking and fucking s- Ravenholm-ass solution. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah, no, it really is. And I actually kind of want to do, at some point I want to do a Black Thoughts about this subject. But the kind of the thought has slid into my mind is, yeah, the future's Russia, basically. Like, that's what we're going to be like. I don't mean, I'm not meaning Russia is in, they're going to invade or any of that kind of shit. I just mean, like, the You mean the Russia of today? Like, that's got yeah. like kleptocrats we're, we're already, and collapsing yeah, life expectancy. We're already Russia. You're not, well, you're not picked up on the Soviet vibes because you can't get, like, fucking hummus or whatever. Like, <laughs> no, but well, I mean, this, this is what I mean. I don't mean Soviet Russia. I mean today, yeah. Putin's kleptocratic oh, well, oligarchic. Then you're you're like, wrong because it's clearly, like, Soviet as fuck out there. I've seen, yeah, I've seen, no, all, I've seen a guy from. That fucking money nonce for saying it on Twitter, so it must be true. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. He's like, uh, the government's doing something about supply chains, therefore we live in Soviet Russia. Fucking hell. Yeah, Jesus yeah, like, Christ. Yeah. yeah, trying to resolve, like, um, fucking supply issues is uh, just running a command economy. Like, that's just how that works. <laughs> but the, the, this this is a thing. We are, we are headed for Russia, where, like, people are fucking overdosing. Places, towns are literally rotting apart. And the more I was thinking about this, the more I realised that, holy shit, this is literally true already for certain parts of the north of England. Because, you know, through my work, I've been doing a lot of, of studying up on what the social issues are like. And, like, there, there's literally rotting <laughs> Editors, housing no, stock. they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty awful. And that's it. That's what we're headed for. It's not going to be like a, an absolute collapse. It's just going to be the tightening of the state to quell dissent while everything just fucking rots. Everything just rots. Yes, except for a very tiny core. And speaking in that particular vein, uh, shall we talk about today's main topic, which is the UK gas industry, which is also rotting and falling apart before our very eyes. Oh, yes. (sighs) Now, I think, uh, James, and I think, Jamie, you as well, you are actually like customers or were customers of now imploded energy companies. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah, I I was with a non-profit. I was paying... 53 quid a month for gas and electric and that was fixed it didn't matter how much we used and we've I now was... been we've now been shunted on to british gas who are estimating that i'll be paying at least 100 quid a Fuck month me for each for, for gas and electric so like 200 quid a month so Fuck like basically see. four times what i was paying jesus christ yep but um it's it's pretty bad and i i didn't you know i didn't have the fortune to be on a non-profit I was with, and I want you to picture me listening here as I'm saying this, because I'm tying bandages around my fists, and I'm, like, dipping them in glue, and I've got the broken glass that I'm rolling them in. Oh, was it that, was um, Am- was it that mad cunt that ran the fucking energy company with his dad and ran off with all the money? Yep. Ah, I hear you mean Avro Energy, and yes, About Dave, which, uh, much yes, more later. Jamie, I yes, was. Yes. Don't, you, don't you fucking start. We had someone on the stream the other night, it was like, fucking, like, I, I was talking for an hour, and then they were like, and then, like, Alistair called me Jamie, and they were like, shit, I thought that was David. It's like, what the fuck's sake, When I do it, it's just my brain misfiring. When other people do it, it's like, man, your accents, you don't you don't even have similar voices in any stretch. I mean, that, uh, whoever it was, it, 
outed themselves as a southerner, I think. <laughs> Quite possibly, actually. I've had someone, I genuinely have had someone mistake me for Alistair before, and that one I can That's sort weird. of see, maybe. Were they American? Squint. <laughs> I think it's like pitch, right? It's tone of voice more than anything, right. uh, I suspect. Anyway, but... shall, before, so, I mean, we'll talk much more about Avro uh, in a bit, because I want to give you a little bit of like a brief history, because otherwise you don't really get how a company like Avro Energy even comes into being. Um, okay, Rob. So, so start us off. What is, is, is energy? It, is it when a like a, a mammy company and a daddy company really love each other? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's when you find the energy company in the cabbage patch that's been dropped there by a stalk. The Energon stalk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, a few key bits essentially um, as a brief overview. The UK gas infrastructure is very, very old and very, very decrepit uh, because you know the state built it, but now it's not being maintained. Um, I think it's because the UK is very, very old and very, very decrepit. Also, yeah. to be fair, uh, the UK's own gas supplies in the North Sea specifically are dwindling, and in particularly in industry, but also in public and private use. Uh, substituting gas for like something else, like electricity, if you're talking about cookers or something, is very, very difficult. Um, so those are sort of three things to keep in mind as we go along. Very brief, uh, I'm gonna try to keep this brief, uh, pollard history of what's going on. Essentially post-World War II, British gas is created. It's publicly owned by the state and it's completely vertically integrated. That means they do- Very, very good. <laughs> They do everything from uh, exploring the gas fields to building a station on top of it to literally you getting the gas in your cooker and paying the bill. It's all British gas. Um, Which makes fucking sense because it's a fucking monopoly. Where else are you going to get... Well, you're gonna, uh, yeah, and also like, energy is an absolute necessity for living a modern life. So therefore it yes. should be state run because much like healthcare, you cannot go without it. I mean, you could, but that... No, actually, you can't, like... In a... I'm, I'm genuinely of the view that if something has natural in its name, it's a pretty good indicator it's a natural monopoly. For example, uh, natural gas. Natural rail. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that to dig the tyres out of the fucking ground, you know? <laughs> um, in the mid-1960s, uh, Britain discovers uh, oil and gas reserves on the continental shelf. This is, of course, the boom that our Scottish friends will be well familiar with, um, which, <laughs> which leads to a uh, increased use of these resources, but only in a national context, mainly in industrial use, uh, because like the fancy new oil and gas was for industry and electricity was by then still powered by coal. Obviously that changed in the 1980s when Margaret Thatcher comes along uh, and doesn't just destroy, of course, the coal uh, and the mining and the that whole industry, but... Uh, also privatizes the gas and electricity market. The idea behind this is, well, the state is now paid for a very well-developed infrastructure. So now um, private actors can come in and use that well-developed state paid for infrastructure <laughs> and create more efficiency because that's how Oh that yeah, works. you see you see this uh, fucking like um, hot rod car that you've built. Well, it looks amazing. Can I take it off your hands and then just drive it straight into a fucking wall? <laughs> it's, not, it's not even that. It's, can I take it off your hands and cut it apart at my chop shop? and then sell people bits of it back together to assemble themselves into a hot rod, except some of the parts may be substituted. 
It's total garbage. Exactly. Total garbage. I mean, essentially what happens is during the privatization, you don't get this chopping yet. The first thing that happens in 1986 is British gas goes public. It's then the largest IPO ever in Britain, but it is still a totally vertically integrated uh, company. So it still does from exploration to you, your gas coming out of the cooker. Um, this is essentially uh, a two-stage process of market liberalization, where the first split is between gas as a commodity trading. So, you know, British Gas now can buy and sell gas from, from other entities and pipeline management. So those two already split off. And what remains of state control turns into Ofgem, the wonderful state regulators, so good at their job that we still know them today. Um, I'd, I'd like to clarify for the listeners here, because this is very important to understand generally. Um, and if you're if you're on the left, you should get this. What's just happened there is we've taken a bit that actually does the real literal work, the provision of gas, the piping and all the rest of it, and they've made that one thing. And then they've made the ownership and trading of the actual, you know, yeah, the notional value yeah. into a separate thing. Yes. And watch this rhetorical trick because it explains all of the fuck-ups to follow. Continue, yeah. Rob. Um, so then in the last days of the major government, so it's actually quite late, this is 1996, um, this is when the big bang of the UK gas industry takes place and the full gas supply market is open to total competition. And in order to do this, because British Gas still had a big monopoly, it is dismantled into five separate constituent parts which form different companies and by the way also sack like thousands and thousands of british gas workers um part one mm -hmm. is the public gas supply company that's just for the domestic market uh, there's contract trading which essentially supplies the businesses transportation and storage becomes a different company service and installation becomes a different company and retail again becomes a different company the idea of which is that more private actors will jump into every one of these five categories and compete with each other for like through different means. So what it also means is that it opens the door eventually to companies like Avro, which now collapsed and others who don't actually, they don't own any gas fields. They don't own any pipelines. All they do is literally they buy some gas, they buy some space on the pipeline from a different company. They buy other bits from other companies and all they do is essentially sit in the middle buy energy sell it to you and hopefully live on the profit and that goes wrong but we'll get to that in a little yeah bit. to to be crystal clear here avro and the companies like them is some fucker with a spreadsheet in a room making phone calls exactly but, but we'll get to what they specifically do uh in a moment so the existing offshore assets by the way are also divided uh the most prolific yields are sort of reserved for business use and the more more sort of crappier ones are reserved for domestic consumers and because now of course if you don't have like a big integrated company like british gas which has like huge financial reserves and therefore can do like new field exploration which is incredibly expensive a kind of a lot of people stop really exploring um, the UK continental shelf because Rob, there's not are enough you trying money. To in say it. to me, are you trying to say to me that the state does all the heavy lifting and then the private sector just like takes all the low hanging fruit and then claims yes. that they've done all That's of the hard work literally themselves? Literally and exactly what happens to to British Gas. Ah, um, uh, you hate to see it. <laughs> 
And uh, crucially, what happens, and this is where what we'll see later in like the today, is long-term customers like big heavy industry users like fertilizer, steel, ceramics, uh, some others, they stop buying like long-term contracts, which essentially span the life of a gas field. Um, and they start buying much more like short-term contracts or even spot contracts. Spot contracts are where you literally just buy today on the open market despite the Some, price. That, someone sells you a balloon today. full of natural gas because it's Pretty a good much. price. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because for them it is, it can be, or they reason that it could be cheaper to like buy in very short short blocks than it is to buy on a long-term contract. Obviously, the advantage mm-hmm. of a long-term contract is if you're in it and it all works out, when the price of gas goes through the fucking roof, like say now, you still have a low price and you have steady supply because you've paid for it. But that no longer happens because the market is chopped up and this kind of competition is encouraged. Planning for the future is communism. Also that, yes. <laughs> Live in the no fucking now. Um, so because Britain... And also the- die there. um because britain essentially stops really doing large-scale exploration of new fields uh coal's phased out and energy uh, use increases that means they need to become a gas importer which is that conversion happens in the 2000s this is the first time ever that um there's a gas pipe called the interconnector that opens between belgium and the uk um, which creates essentially a common market between the UK and EU gas markets. Um, so essentially the UK becomes part of a much bigger whole and becomes much more connected to global prices because we don't have the independence of essentially just relying on continental shelf oil and gas fields because that's no longer what we do uh, because the market is now globalized. However, and there's a big important difference uh, between EU gas markets and UK ones, which is that EU markets still mainly function through these very long-term I was going to say, like, the, the UK one's going to be absolutely fucking, like, insane, like, chopping up and down. And the, the EU is going to be, like, contracts for, like, 700 years and shit like that, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So what happens is like EU markets, especially large EU users like heavy industry, they do still do the long like life of long term life of field type contracts. And critically, they have a lot of state mechanisms and not direct support, but like oversight so that there's still significant storage capacity. This is the other critical part Mm -hmm. that will become a problem when we make the jump to today. Um, Like Italy, for example, still has... Uh, enough gas storage facility for like 150 winter days. I think the UK has five days worth of storage. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's going to happen in six days' time? We could all be dead by then. Well, we can only hope. I mean, we we probably will all be dead by then because we've only got five days of gas. Um, can I just check? Am I correct in thinking, Rob, that we have the lowest storage capacity of anywhere in Europe? Oh yeah, by far. Like by far, like idi- idiotically low. Um, in 2017, hmm. Centrica, which is one of the privatized companies along the supply chain, um, closes one of the largest UK storage sites. They say over safety concerns. I say over pro- the concerns whether or not they're going to make. Uh, like any money of them and like as you can imagine finding a storage site for either liquid natural gas or gas in its just pure form is incredibly difficult like they don't just no, appear just, overnight just, no hang on no dump it on Jamie's lawn we've established this <laughs> <laughs> um, and essentially new 
sites can take decades to build. So like even if the UK wanted to like build a big storage site, it would take I mean, two, it's just, 20 or 30 just, years to do. It's just fucking, it is fucking insane though, isn't it? Because yes. storing yeah. things by its nature is not a profitable thing to do. It is saying, I'm going to keep this here to use later. It is fucking bonkers the idea that this could in any way make ah. somebody money well i mean it and could, it's it just could. and yet and yet and yet here we are <laughs> alistair this is proof that you are not a capitalist because the whole reason you do the storage of these goods is to inject liquidity exactly into the market. yes because you see there may be a farmer turns up to sell their grain <laughs> but they find no buyer <laughs> so the nice merchant steps between and buys the grain and stores oh, the grain until you, there is a buyer <laughs> and hopefully by that point the price of grain will have risen because there's no farmers left selling and then the merchant is able to provide the grain to the consumer with a very small and modest Let's markup to make their profit the and yeah, it's about smoothing out the supply-demand curve, Alistair. And if you get to profit off that as some kind of, I don't know, man in the middle, then, you know, that's just for... That, that's you are your providing a useful see, function to the market and to people, because see, people the are the market. The, the problem with arbitrage is that the prices can go in the wrong direction. Can ah, the- yeah, but Alistair, Alistair, if you're a capitalist, you know, if the prices go in the wrong direction, that's what the state's for. <laughs> as, as we'll come. So essentially, by the time, well, we get to today, uh, according to some of the pieces I read, the most striking line I found was, the UK now maintains a just-in-time attitude to gas supplies. <laughs> oh... Yeah, great. Something that can never go wrong. How's your supermarket shelves looking? Um, Yeah, so essentially, and now I'm just going to jump into today. um, And I want to make very clear that like the specific problems with the gas industry and why all these companies are exploding has very little, if nothing to do with Brexit, just to be very, very clear. Um, This is like a global... there's like a global market trend thing. Uh, there's yeah. a couple. There's like a couple of reasons. I'll list the main ones. Essentially, the first one is. Vol, vol. Hang on. Before you do, it is also fair to say, vol, and it's important to bear in mind. Brexit is an accelerator for this. The conditions that have been created by Brexit do have an impact, but what we're saying is they're not the primary Some, cause. I would argue in the case of the gas market, I think it's very low to negligible, if I'm, if I'm fairly honest with you. Um, essentially, the main, re- the main big six reasons are um, we are now in the quote-unquote post-corona recovery, which the means... The cool zone. Um, <laughs> energy uh, uh, industry is picking up, people are making stuff again, so there's just more demand globally, which is pushing up prices. Uh, especially in Asia, where China in particular is trying to switch off its coal plants and do more gas power. So that definitely, like, they drag in a lot of um, demand that wasn't there before because they used coal. Uh, The third one is that Russian production, for a host of reasons I won't get into, is essentially slowed down. That's mainly because the Russians are evil and want the United Kingdom to fail. (laughs) Um, Super, <laughs> love it. Absolutely love Amelia it. When did you become you? a pole prof? <laughs> <laughs> um, the third one is that Europe uh, is restocking its very its its own reserves, which has become very low. Uh, the f- fifth one is that oil prices are spiking, and when oil prices spike, gas is just not far behind. 
Um, and the th sixth reason is, and this is sort of a thing with renewables that does happen sometimes, is wind speech this year on average have been down. So the windmills aren't turning that hard. And we've had less sunny days in 2021. So the solar panels don't get as much energy. And given that the UK now gets between 38 and 43% of its energy mix from renewables, once that happened, that does create a problem. So like these six factors are all sort of bundled together um, and creating a real spike in gas prices. Like I think it's already increased four or five fold in the last 18 months. Like the spike is fucking huge. Like it's a real but thing. But it's okay. It's okay. We, as we just spent the past like 20 minutes establishing, we have prepared for this. Yes, specifically how we've prepared for this in the last two decades is that there's been a very long-standing policy determination by the UK government, both under the Tories and under New Labour, um, is that the most important thing is how you get a good functioning gas and energy market is consumer choice. Um, yes. So how do you get consumer choice in the gas market? Well, you just deregulate it more, and that means that more and more like companies can come in and compete on price. Uh, and that means that you as a consumer get to choose between Cool Ranch gas and Iron Brew Light gas <laughs> yes. and all the other flavors of Iron gas. Iron Brew Original Recipe gas. <laughs> exactly, right? It makes you a David's, David's personal favorite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that is why you get this choice in gas. It makes a meaningful difference in your life, right? And specifically what happens is like you get these operators like um, Avro and what they do, I mentioned a little bit before, is they don't own anything. Avro Energy doesn't own any gas fields, it doesn't own any pipelines, it doesn't own any storage they, sites. It just, I, you know, they, I, they own be, a bunch uh, of gyms and like fucking minicab firms probably. I don't know. I, I'll be honest, like, speaking, of, speaking, of, speaking of gyms that they own, they've certainly fucking owned me the past <laughs> month or so. <laughs> no, the people that took over Avro Energy, they do also own FinTech, but that's a story for a little bit later on. Um, oh... <laughs> Uh, so essentially what you get is like an increasing number of not very well financed startups um, that don't do anything but sort of sit in the middle uh, and have uh, not a lot of um, like, uh, sorry, let me, let me try that again. All right, so you get an increasing number of not very well startups with essentially sh sharp marketing practices and, and sort of trading practices, but very little capital for when shit hits the fan. So in the case, do you want to? Um, I, I hate the, the yeah, fucking hell. None of us can talk. So, so this is an you incredible. You said not very well startups. That's yes. All right. I, All right. I actually, I, I right. I thought me that, say that thought if words. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually thought Rob meant not very well as in sickly startups. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's also true. All right. Let me try this for a third time. So essentially, what you get is. In this increasingly liberalized marketplace, you get an increasing number of not very well financed startups, which essentially just do marketing, but have very little capital cushion for when shit hits the fan. Avro Energy is a good example of it, which just blew up. Um, how they operate is um, much like banking, essentially, is they rely on- oh, yeah, is well that, that instills me with confidence. <laughs> Always known to be sober and it's like steely minded bankers. Yes, yes. this will be great. So, what they rely on essentially, what Avro certainly relied on, is a thing called a maturity mismatch. The idea is that if I. Uh, that's a pretty uh, taboo, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, is this, uh, this is getting a. This is, this is reeking a libertarian. Yeah, it's also known as. Age gas. It's also known as. Starmer thinks they did nothing wrong. 
<laughs> it's also quite literally uh, he's against nationalizing them what what they rely on is called a maturity mismatch essentially what they do is they buy gas on the spot market the spot market is literally what is the price of gas today and that is how i uh, the price at which i will buy a certain quantity x that i need to supply to my consumers i will sell that gas to my consumers who are locked in at long-term prices and the difference between the spot market, which should be cheaper than what your customers are paying, the difference between A and B is your uh, profit. Until I've got to say, I, uh, Rob taking that bit again better not mean that I lose my maturity mismatch joke because I'm uh, going to be gone. very pissed if it does. It's gone. <laughs> Mourn it, for it has, it has left us. Yeah. <laughs> so this, uh, this mismatch between the, the price on the spot market and what the consumer pays, that's the profit that Afro Energy makes. Until, of course, the price on the spot market totally balloons and you are, you know, the, the, your, the price your customers are paying no longer covers the price you're paying for the gas. Indeed, the price of the gas goes way at, at which, beyond that. At, at which point you take all the money and you run like fuck. <laughs> Pretty close. In case of Avro Energy, they did some interesting shenanigans. Well, but uh, I'm looking forward to hearing this because... What, they, take because... The mo- they take the fucking money and dance like fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I started reading about Avro, and then I stopped and said, I'm getting incandescently angry the more I read. I should give this to Rob. <laughs> and so this is going to be my first-hand experience of a lot of what Rob's going to share with yeah. us tonight. So um, essentially what's happened is lots of these small operators, and by small, I mean Avro had nearly 400,000 customers, but they essentially... What? Because, yeah, Fucking they had 360,000 customers. Um, insane. Is Hi. L- lots of these like smaller <laughs> operators, they don't have enough capital to, to hedge their bets. Like they can't offset their purchases on the spot market with like paying for gas that they have in a storage tank or like a long-term contract with a field somewhere in the North Sea or something. They are 100% reliant on these spot prices. And when that price balloons and you can like, doesn't cover uh, the money you get from consumers anymore, especially once it balloons past the energy price cap that the UK government mandates, so, you have a giant hole in your budget and it goes bang very, very, very quickly. Is it is it good business practice to um, assume that the universe will remain in a constant steady state with nothing varying more than like 1% or 2% from what your initial outset is? Yes, Pretty much. That's that why to, nothing to ever went wrong in the housing market or in 2008, indeed. To do otherwise is communism. <laughs> How much? How much like money do you need up front to start one of these fucking companies? So far as I could tell, very little to nothing. Um, like essentially, how much does how much does an Excel license cost these days? Like like <laughs> like banks in two thousand eight, there are like very low or no requirements for like capital or liquidity. You can just enter the market and go hog if you, if that's what you want to do. Um, and Ofgem, of course, is still the regulator, so it should have been their job to you know, ask for the paperwork and say, hey, Uh, do you actually have a capital cushion in case the price of gas goes through the roof? Um, They just... I'm just wondering wondering how difficult it would be for, like, a a group of people to start a fucking, like, non-profit and instead of doing all of this stupid bullshit, just, like, take out, like, long-term contracts for the gas and then, like... I mean, charge it, people it, what it what it costs. It, it wouldn't be hard necessarily. The problem is you would need 
a brick ton of upfront capital to make the purchase of the long-term contract. Like that's yeah. the problem. The problem is you need, if you want to do this sensibly in like a, a well-organized manner, you need to have a huge wad of cash to pay for the upfront contract. That's the problem. What, what we're like talking fair, like, like 200 quid, 300 quid? Uh, something like that. <laughs> there is, um, so this is a point I read too, and this is where I just fucking blew a gasket, much like my boilers going to things keep going like this. Um, like to do the long-term purchase, you have to basically slam down the long-term amount like immediately. Yeah. Whereas if you just buy month to month, you've got a little bit of leeway where as long as you can stump up a month's worth of money exactly. within a short window, you're fine. Exactly. And that leads on to what Avril fucking did. And essentially the most important thing is what we're finding out right now is that a lot of these companies, especially the smaller ones, had no cushion and had no capital. And famously, I think it was Warren Buffett that said of the 2008 crisis in the banking sector, um, we're gonna when the tide goes out, i.e., when the eco, when the systemic economy collapses, collapses, you find out who's been swimming naked. And what we're finding out literally last week, this week, and then the coming next two weeks for sure, we're gonna find out what which of these other energy suppliers were essentially swimming naked, and they're all gonna explode. More or less, because what I learned, the thing that pissed me off, is that Avril literally rocked up and said we'd like to order x amount of gas they all went okay you're due you know payment due within two weeks sort of thing we went cool then turned around and said okay we've got this gas customers and then took the customers payments and then paid it like basically paid off the gas with the customers exactly. payments. yeah so let's let's show we just show we talk a little bit about avro then uh james you're <laughs> yeah please um I'm, I'm ready for this one it was started by... I, lo- I love it i love it when we are like air personal beefs on this podcast <laughs> it's my, honestly my favorite content that we do like i just I, i'm sorry i'm just gonna are, are i'm allowed, really mask off of this are we allowed tonight? to air personal beefs now because <laughs> like fucking old ken from up I'll Ken from up the road, like, as a cunt. If, if he doesn't stop, like, fucking trying to pick up, like, women from the bus stop in his car on a night, I'm going to chin him. <laughs> See what I mean? It's the absolutely perfect content for this podcast. <laughs> um, Avro Energy is founded by a guy called Jake Brown in 2014. When he, find, when he found it, he's still 20 years old and studying law at Birmingham. But of course, oh, off-gem, uh, but off-gem so of course, gave him a strike. trading license. Uh, in 2000... But why would you not? You're studying law. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's a competent, like, full adult who, you know, is clearly sensible and level-headed <laughs> enough at 20 years old everyone, to be everyone, able to run like, a major piece of infrastructure, Everyone right? understands, like, the rules of D&D. If he's studying law, then he's obviously going to be like a paladin or something, and you can trust <laughs> those guys. <laughs> Yeah, strong whiff of lawful good from Avro Energy, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I can tell you for sure is that Jake Brown can draft a memo. Um, So, the company is founded in 2014. In 2017, uh, he takes on a second shareholder, also with 50%. Uh, The shareholder is his dad. Um, so they run the company. Oh, who saw that one fucking company? They run the company uh, together. And the whole company, James, as you correctly said, was from the start financed by like uh, fees advanced like start like entry fees by customers so they took the entry fees then bought the gas and then hoped that everything would sort of work out in the in the long term uh, neither Jake Brown nor his father nor anybody in his family had actually put any of their own money into this it was always advanced fees you know uh, advanced fees paying for future gas it, it was a, a trapezoid it was a, it was a it was a company of a, had a certain shape 
Um, probably. <laughs> um, would that would that shape be a gun? Vaguely... <laughs> I mean, it's a shape. I, I was gonna say more like maybe a trapezoid, but with a pointy top. Yeah, some, some, some but, along uh, those lines. Um, it also weirdly enough made the energy prices that James you paid probably so cheap because this is according to the Times. Um, they were on an article on, on uh, Avro, is uh, the speculation that they were using the payment from existing customers to offer new customers very cheap rates. Oh, fuck off. Yes. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> you, you, uh, really? Really? Because that's what got me in. I did a, I did a compare the market kind of thing and was like, oh, these, what, these guys are by far and away the better ones, and you're telling me I bought into a fucking Ponzi scheme <laughs> on the energy... That is No, we are expressly hell. not saying that. We are legally not saying that. <laughs> yeah, we... <laughs> um, are we allowed okay, to, well, are we allowed I did to legally then. say that James should seek recourse by killing that fucking meerkat with a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair to James, they did won the uh, U-Switch Value for Money Award in 2019, so... Again, guess what year I switched to them? <laughs> guess when I started using them? Yeah. Motherfucker. Yeah, also, I was looking, um, I was looking at the um, Trust It, or the Trust Certificate. There's this big ag- aggregator that says whether your companies are reliable or not. As of today, Avro Energy, still four and a half out of five stars. Um <laughs> I mean, we, we live we live in a post consequence society for um for the rich. So why the fuck not? You know, just give. Why don't we? Why don't we mock up like a fucking uh, certificate that we can send them? <laughs> so by offering cheap so- cheap electricity and gas, the company from 2017, when it turned over 80 million dollars, it boom 80 million pounds. Uh, it boomed to about mid 2019 when it turned over 390 million pounds. Uh, right now, by the way, it is nursing a twenty-eight million pound loss, straight loss, and the profits from the company were never that, that big. But that's because the straight—they had a lot of weird um, costs that you don't normally get weird. In, 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 a, in a company. Weird, weird okay. costs. My, so, okay. you, you haven't—you have intrigued me here, Rob. You're saying that this this dodgy enemy co- enemy company, well, they are my fucking enemy company. <laughs> this, this dodgy energy company that's basically been front running its customers and then making up the difference by o- overcharging so they can undercharge new customers. You're telling me that this company perhaps did something interesting with its what could have been profits. Yeah. So what could have been profits was instead. Does it does it rhyme with Fonzie Dream? <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the things they did, which was they gave an unsecured loan of £830,000 to a company called Berkeley Swiss Limited. Uh, not un- oh, Rob, Rob, hang on, hang on. I'm just, my brain is throbbing. Stop me. I'm going to guess. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm channeling this. I, 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 something's coming into shape. Would this company perhaps be owned by, say, the father? Yes. And Jake himself, 50 50 shareholders in Berkeley, Swiss. Oh, Limited. right. So it's both of them then. Oh, absolutely fantastic. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Carry uh, on. So there's that unsecured loan. More importantly, I think, is because you want a company like this to be very well managed. So they paid a Yes, of fee course. of 2.25 million quid in management fees to a company called Sandito Marketing. Oh, would this, and, uh, would this oh, yeah. perhaps be... Yeah. See the, see uh, again, would this be like, like a... 
Do you reckon? Do you reckon Would... that's a short for send it over? <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's a like friend of a family, maybe like a cousin or something? No, nope, simply you know, just like owned that? by Jake and his father. You see, I think. Oh my I, god! I think like um, <laughs> this. This kind of capitalism any percent speed run is the kind of thing where they risk getting fucking clattered by the law for ruining it for everyone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's a, well, yes. Um, no, I mean, these guys are, see... like, small bean enough. They may actually wind up in court Pop. because they're small enough yeah, they to might, burn. Yeah, they might actually... They might they might tie a can to the tail over this. I did see, like... So I was following Avril going bust, basically. I didn't know this shit, but I was following it going bust, and I did see that things seemed to get very dicey when Ofgen said they had requested the financial <laughs> records of uh, Avril. And I said to myself, wait... They didn't already have No, them. they only requested how those they? on uh, August 19th. I mean, like, they're, fucking, they're very busy. Do... do you know what I mean? They can't be expected well, but... to, like, regulate an energy market. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, here's the thing. How are you meant to regulate companies that are doing an energy market without knowing what shape they're in? Like, how are you meant to protect consumers well, I think we know what shape if you're not... Well, I mean... Everyone, everyone <laughs> at the regulator is, like, busy playing that new fucking Amazon MMO, probably. Do you know what I mean? People, people are just mad for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, just, I mean, uh, this is the, this is the way the company functioned. They're, and beca- they're playing they're playing that MMO, and they're like keeping an eye on how much mana the wizard has, and that's technically monitoring energy. <laughs> it's fine. They've, they've installed they've installed a free app to help them keep on top of it. Um, I believe it's called Bonzi Team, something like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, essentially, this is of course, and now given all the history and the stuff that we've been talking about. Once the spot price of gas went this high and certainly went over the energy price cap that's in place, uh, this company, Avro, and a bunch of the others had no cushion. So they Do were completely naked. you know what it is? I think, I think it's, it's incredibly gratifying to have my long, like, lifelong suspicion confirmed that every single person working in business is a fucking idiot. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so... Apart from Avro blowing up and taking James with them, and the other company blowing up and taking, <laughs> and apparently a whole yeah. a whole swarm of other businesses that are all owned by the same people. <laughs> yeah. um, there are also about a hundred employees of the company based around Hinkley. They're also shit out of luck. They've all been fired uh, because the company's gone right. into administration. So all the junior ones, they have my deepest sympathies. Like genuinely, no. When I'm mad at Avro, I'm not mad at them. I am mad at the executives. Let's be crystal clear about this. So let's talk a little bit about what happens now, uh, James, specifically to you, uh, but also... Show trials. um, (laughs) I mean, I've got it coming, but... There is regulation in in place to say what happens when uh, a gas or an energy supplier to consumers specifically uh, goes out of business. It's called a supplier of last resort process. Um, This is a legal process by which... A company, a, a different energy company, promises and agrees. What happens? What happens is they shunt all the customers off to the most expensive bunch of cunts they can find, mm-hmm. and then they yeah. kind of just like they kind of just go. Nah, we'll get to that in a minute. Like, yeah, yeah. I've been. I, that, I that's got, literally what's happened to me too. I got punted over to British Gas, who like aren't supplying me with gas. They're, they admit that they're supposed to be supplying with me electricity and gas, but they haven't like fucking done anything with the gas yet. And like a week, I've been waiting for for their their team to get back to me about that. Yeah. And um, my mom was on like PFP the same as us, and she's had emails from PFP saying she she should wait await contact from British Gas. Yeah. She's heard nothing from British Gas. 
Do you know what I mean? And I, she was like sat. She was sat in the. She's like seventy odd. She sat in the house with no heat on the other day when I went over because she's worried about what if like she would not technically having a gas supplier. What if she ends up getting charged like over the odds? I was like, put the fucking heating on. Do you know what I mean? If British Gas eventually try and like charge you extra or some shit, we'll just go to war with them. I mean, but... yeah. <laughs> essentially, this is this is the the in in the strange interregnum uh, between the two energy supplies. Weird shit happens. And what happens is, again, yep. this is this process of the supplier of last resort. Essentially, what happens is um, one of the other energy companies will promise to take over all the existing customers. And in case of Avro, as I said, there was a lot. There was like 360,000 customers. Um, and of course, as you can imagine, for like the, the, the company that takes it over, there's quite a significant cost attached to that. So you ask yourself, how is that cost going to be met? Um, and the way that that is met is, again, through the supplier of last resort process, which means that all the costs associated with the takeover are distributed, I think, across all the players in the entire industry. And they are then legally allowed to pass that on to you, the consumer. So David and Alistair, you will also be paying into the failure of Avro Energy. Hell yeah. Welcome aboard. It's very comfortable here. It's like strap-in, son. Well, I always said I was a fan of socialism, and this includes right now. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, uh, Jamie, what's happening to you, and James, what's happening to you, what presumably will happen to you... um, Oh no! I'm, I've been shunted onto octopus yeah, energy. Yeah, we're going to talk about so- octopus. which sounds equally fucking made up, by the way. <laughs> um, so when you're placed, like there is a statutory duty for an en- for you to f- for the energy industry to give you energy, essentially. Um, if you have any like credit paid forward or in your metered uh, machine, that credit stays there. But any <clears throat> price agreements that you may have made with Avro or Jamie with your cooperative one, those price agreements do not need to be taken over by the new supplier. They can essentially reset the prices to whatever the fuck it is they want. Yep. Yeah. Um, the problem is, of course, if you look at it, well, no, let's let's brief very briefly first, James, because you just mentioned Octopus. Yes, your company is called Octopus Energy, which sounds very reliable. Um, they, by the way, were founded in 2016, so a mere oh, two good. years after Avro. Oh, good, um, good, good. Uh, was was the founder of M equally two years younger? Was it founded by an 18-year-old? It was founded <laughs> by three ex-Cambridge graduates who were just who were 25 or so when they founded it. Yes. Fucking hell! Uh, and just, I just want to make sure, like Octopus has is like in all these business tech startup cool company lists uh, because they're not just an energy company. They're essentially because someone brought a fucking laptop oh, into the office one time. So oh, tech company. No. sorry. When when Rob said the cursed words, they're not just an X company. Like that's what I want to hear from my energy company. We're not just an energy company. What else? It's like great, what el- great. The one thing I want from them, they do other shit too. All what right. Other, What's this then, What Rob? other great industries do you think Octopus is also in? Bitcoin. Oh. Seafood. Yes. No. Yeah. Uh, not seafood. It, yeah. Sorry. Crypto. Surely crypto. Uh, probably yes. Um, so o- really? Octopus, besides being an energy supplier, uh, is also in uh, is also a general investment fund. It is a venture capital fund. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it is involved in p- commercial property lending, <laughs> renewable oh energy, <laughs> private healthcare, and fintech. <laughs> 
I've become the fucking natural gas choker. Yeah. What, just Jesus fucking Christ. Amazing. Oh, what? Watch this magic trick. I'm gonna make an energy company disappear. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not just an energy company, Alistair. You're gonna need more pencils. <laughs> But like fucking hell. The the important thing um, you have to keep in mind when we're talking about these switchover things, these supplier of last resort measurements, um, is that there's not that many companies out there that can just like absorb uh, three hundred fifty thousand or five hundred thousand new customers like all in one go, because the company yep. has to upfront the switchover costs and has to upfront like your first month or so of gas until you know you start paying your new much higher bills. So this, this supplier of last resort process is very capital intensive. And as we discussed, most of the other players in the market don't actually have any capital to speak of. Again, much like banking in 2008. Um, so right now, there's roughly a 500 quid gap between the, pr- the UK energy price cap for consumers and the cost of energy for new consumers at wholesale. So for every new consumer that um, Octopus takes on, they're losing 500 quid. So the bet that they're doing is... Efficiency of the market, baby. Yeah. Let's go. But you can see the bet, right, is we can weather this storm of high energy prices. And if and when we do, we have all these new customers and we we have, you know, a long-term prospect of much more prosperity. Uh, of much more profit. But that does mean you have to be able to ride out this in between with the very high gas prices. And what I don't know about Octopus or indeed any of these other companies, except probably the big six, is do they have capital cushions deep enough to weather the storm if, let's say, these high gas prices continue for a month, two months, three months through the winter? And I don't know the answer to that. So it could be well, that like Octopus also blows up and then you're shunted onwards to British Gas or E.ON or uh, Scottish do you know Power what, or something. Do you know what? It would be so funny. It would be fucking incredible if we accidentally like nationalised natural gas like by default just like every every company just literally just goes bust except like british gas oh but there's, <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh you're oh, oh you're talking about nationalization well fortunately the law of supplier of last resort also foresees this possibility because like as you can imagine oh. uh once the next let's say octopus also goes bang and they ha- now have well over five hundred thousand customers well over um and what if British Gas, Eon, the, like the big six, all say, "Sorry, we we can't accept that risk, and we're not paying for that company because we don't think we can pay out, you know, five hundred quid times the X number of customers they have." If all the energy companies refuse to to buy, essentially, if the deal's really shitty, and if the the company that fell over is a complete fucking pig. Um, then the other option comes into play, and that is called a special administrator, and that is, of course, the British state. So if the deal was shit enough, the British state is forced to come in and bail out the private market. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So Don't you love capitalism? Yeah. There's a, little, there's a little detail here, which is that under Octopus, I've, I've been doing a little reading in the background, apparently their, their tariff is £10 below the price cap. So it's actually costing them at five hundred and ten pounds per person they're onboarding. So, yes. Hmm. Uh, so you can see the bet, right? We can weather this storm, and then we have a bunch of new customers, and we can charge them not whatever we want, but you know, 
close enough as is. Well, the, the, joke, and the, energy the jokes price on them because I'm rising. fucking moving. Yeah, the, the jokes on them because I'm fucking moving the second I well, can. Well, I mean, you basically. might, but like the energy price cap is already up 140 quid, and it's probably going to go up even more in the next couple of months because of these global structural problems. So whoever you end up with, you're going to be paying a lot more than you were. That's absolutely 100% guaranteed. <laughs> Yeah, but I'll be honest, I'll have a shop around and see if I can do anything other than give money to fintech bros from Cambridge. That would be good. <laughs> like, you know, bog-standard oligarch, right? Fine, <laughs> fuck, at least you're not going to try and sell me an app in a Toffs accent. So if we stretch this out a little bit into the future and we look ahead, um, I read some stuff on the FT. Uh, oh, so we're finally going to do some communism. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, I read some stuff, by the way. Uh, some of the credit in this story goes to Patrick Jenkins over at the FT. It was written very well on gas industry. So, you know, shout out where it's appropriate. Um, is If we look ahead, the forecast right now is that there's about 70-odd energy companies in the UK um, the vast majority of which do this spot market cu- customer uh, maturity mismatch gigal. Um, so <laughs> maturity mismatch. Honestly, someone someone needs to get. They need like a PR guy to go in there <laughs> and just be like. Um, so the the forecast is, and nobody knows what's going to happen. I mean, of course, but there's, there's... <laughs> the forecast is fuck knows, pal. <laughs> Sorry, I just realised this entire crisis has come about because of a problematic maturity gap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the. Out of the 70 existing energy companies in the United Kingdom, the forecast is that about 10 may live through the winter. So this uh, supplier of last resort thing is going to happen again and again and again. And the interesting question is, of course, is the next company is going to, they're they're going to be like exponentially bigger every time they fall over because the smallest ones, of course, have the smallest cushions. And like, when is the point going to come where the existing players that are left say, no, we don't care that Octopus fell over, we're not buying. And what the fuck is going to happen then? Because then the state and the treasury and Rishi Sunak are going to have to step in and buy the fucking thing and essentially become a nationalized energy purveyor. The, the, it's just so it's so fucking cool that like the 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 Tories are literally doing well will have to ha- essentially have their arms twisted to do the shit that you know right thinking people want to happen which is like national nationalization of all these natural monopolies and yet it's just anathema to the current Labour Party. It's so yeah. so fucking good. Like the Tories are gonna piss and they're gonna moan about having to like you know, impinge on the, like, the invisible hand of the free market or whatever the fuck, and yet they are still going to be, like, forced to do it because, like, 80% of all energy companies are just going to fall over dead. Well, because otherwise literally, like, hundreds of thousands or a million people are going to be left without electricity. And, like, uh, you know, maybe the Tories will just go, yeah, fuck it, you should have made better choices. Like, that's possible. I don't know. Like, I genuinely don't know what the Tories are going to do when it comes to this point. Listen, listen, can you imagine what a Corbyn government would be doing right now? How much so worse much, things would so be? Much worse. Uh, that, that, I mean, that's kind, of, that's kind of the thing that pisses me off about all this shit. What, like, so, you know, Brexit in the rearview mirror, and then there's just this fucking, this, these crises, this the stacking crises, one on top of the other, the NHS, the natural, like, the, the energy sector, 
like the fucking railways that have been going going bust and being taken over by the state, and it's just like this incredibly fertile ground that is just wasted. Yes, because of the current political landscape, and mm-hmm. it's just. It's wasted because of a waste called Keir Starmer. <laughs> and I, I want to be like very clear, like this thing with, with the gas supplies is definitely not just like hitting consumers and exploding energy companies. It's also hitting like the UK's remaining huge fuck off industry sectors, uh, fertilizer, steel, the chemical industry, the ceramics industry. They all used vast amount of like, especially liquid natural gas, but also just natural gas. They directly just plug it into their plants. Um, and mm. most of them have already, like all of them have spoken to the government in the last couple of days. And like specifically steel chemicals and ceramics have already said that even this week or next week, they could stop all production because the price of energy is so high that they would make too much loss to keep three going. Three day week, three day week, three day week. <laughs> <laughs> it's back fuckers. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, in, in terms of, like, industry, people have to realise how essentially, like, the gas is not just used to, like, heat things, yes. it's also used to drive all, pretty much all of the processes that are going to be going on in these places. So it's like, just astronomical amounts of energy in, like, like comparatively to, like, re- like uh, you know, the consumer. Like, I, I tried to, so this is obviously a difficult conversation to have with green political party members right because you know we talk about how we can sort energy production and how we need to keep it all on the ground and here's the thing to stop climate change we do but we are in a catch-22 because our industrial processes don't just need electricity is a fundamental issue right and all the natural production produces electricity but actually a lot of the industrial processes need heat and oil from and burning gas. Yeah. And they, and then you get to the chemical side of it, where yeah, they fucking use hydrocarbon processes in chemical refinement, and it's like there are ways to greenify this, but it still requires the substance to be there, and like there, there is a you know there there is a kind of catch twenty two here. What you can't do, you can't do carbon capture, but you you basically for us to actually move to a sustainable economy, we do need to do like electricity baseload, but yeah, like we're just not gonna get it. We're just you're not going to be able to to move the entire economy and end the extraction of natural gas because of industry's requirement for it, and that is a bigger yeah. problem. So I just want to mention one more thing, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. Um, is that um, so? This industry is in real trouble, and what we've seen in the last weekend is this totally fucking undignified spectacle. Because this is the bit that the press, of course, focuses on because they're morons is this sort of spat between quasi Quateng, the business secretary, who says, oh, this is we are, we are willing to talk to industry and maybe do something. And then the Treasury anonymously briefing and slapping him down and saying, um, you know, business should sort itself out and this is not what we're supposed to be doing. Of course, I remember in two, early 2008 when everybody was saying the same thing about Northern Rock and beyond, they should sort themselves out until the whole thing went very much kablooey. And the current government also believes in both a price cap for energy and free markets, which... Uh, <laughs> I believe we call that an oxymoron. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is one of the cleverest callbacks you've ever done, Alistair. Um, so yeah, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, there was a huge CO2 crisis, so people couldn't pull pints like there was literally no more CO2 in the pubs. 
Um, so mm. that one could come back because the emergency subsidies for gas purchases made to a massive US company called CF Industries uh, lapses uh, today. And if they don't get new subsidies oh. with which to buy gas, then the CO2 stops coming. And then the animal slaughtering can't continue and the stuff in the pubs gets uh, run out. <laughs> I love the idea that the animals get a stay of execution because civilization has collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> That's just wonderful. The one thing, and then we'll, we'll truly move on, uh, that if you want a prediction from my side, and I try not to make them, but... I think in a week or two, we're going to be seeing a big, fat PR push return that fracking does need to come to the United Kingdom to solve this specific Ooh. issue. Oh, that's, that's a good my shout, pick. actually, Rob. I don't think it's... No, I, I agree with that But one. yeah, watch out for fracking, because like, we, we need more extraction. Anyway, that's the UK, US gas, UK gas industry. It's in a good shape and heading for a brighter tomorrow. Yes, this is what happens when you let capitalism run something that should be a national monopoly. Excellent. Yeah. We'd love to see it. Yeah. Good. Okay, <laughs> let's um let's round this off then with some comment or commentary. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> the two contrasts of comment commentary. <laughs> Excitement and despair. There are two wolves in this podcast. <laughs> People will say they are generally in favour of green ideas and do their bit where it is not too inconvenient. But do they care enough about climate change they are prepared to own nothing, have severely restricted freedoms, limited electricity, eat bugs, and 3D-printed meat substitutes? Living under communism, where green taxis are used to take everything they have worked for? What? That's where people like Charles want to lead us. Once they have these powers, it is not like they are going to relinquish them after 2030. There is a limited window of opportunity to stand up to Klaus and his agendas. If this is missed, what? our children will be condemned to a dystopian future. Comment or commentaria? That's commentaria. It's got to be commentaria. Uh, is that, is that Mr. Forehead? Is that Brendan? Is that, is that Brendan? That's got a whiff about it. No, this is having to go to the royal family. I say comment. It is a comment, and it was a comment in the Daily Mail. Ooh. <laughs> Not usually the anti-royalist hangout, but sure. Charles doesn't oh, I mean, count. No, was, that, that's so it's that's like kind of got the conflict between hating, uh, like sorry, loving the royals and hating anything to do with, um, you know, recycling and the concept of not burning <laughs> ourselves to death. Uh, but also, also Charles, Charles doesn't isn't covered by the umbrella of like royal like sycophancy because uh, you know what I mean. He, he dumped Diana. The princess <laughs> no, of he, all he, of our hearts. So he 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 absolutely is because he's going to be the next king. Oh, has anyone here watched the fucking um, Diana musical? Nope. No. 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 What? What fucking no. question was no, that asking going... this company? I know. <laughs> I, I am. I am in fucking lockstep with David on this one. We're not doing that no. on this podcast. <laughs> Continue, David. Cowards, a lot of you. Right. This one about um, insulate Britain. Any minute someone will die as a result of their actions or of public frustration with them. But no manslaughter uh. trial will follow, and they will be allowed to shrug as <laughs> if it has nothing to do with them. inflicted on myself. <laughs> if a member of the public gets fed up and assaults one of them, you can rely on the boys in blue to roll up at the speed of light. What is more, they know their demonstration is quite pointless. Britain is already spending a grossly disproportionate amount of money on combating global warming relative to mm. its input into the problem. <laughs> if any of them... <laughs> it's excellent. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. 
if any of them are on benefits, then the benefits should stop. <laughs> they should face jail for repeated infractions of the injunction and be removed as soon as they sit down. Is this pretty, comment or commentary? Is this pretty commentary? Is this pretty Patel speech to Tory conference? <laughs> I think it's comment. Yeah, I think it's commentary. Commentary. Aren't Gomin? Gomin? Going? Commentary. Okay, it was commentary. That was Anne Widdicombe for the Daily Express. Jeez. Oh, yes. yes. Is she the original Patel right again? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, she is still alive somehow. Um, Tragically alive. As for Labour, with both main parties moving towards the economic centre, it should stop embracing Brexit and recognise that the deepest division in UK society is still between Brexiteers and Remainers. Oh, for oh. fuck. Brexit has not got Co- done in any other than the strictest legal sense, and it comes with attachments, erosions of liberal democracy, culture wars, threat to the integrity of the UK, has- and to international peace. Have any of these cunts actually like tried to just get Aaron Sorkin involved? Because they obviously <laughs> all think if, right. they, if someone yeah. just gives the right impassioned speech, everything like the, the grown-ups will just go, you know what, and then everything will go back to normal. <laughs> so and they you're, can all you're holiday right. on the so continent in peace. <laughs> it's it's the Guardian. Yes, it's definitely the Guardian. I'm gonna say it's the Guardian, and here's the tricky part. I'm gonna say comment. I'm gonna go with you. Because it does sound like someone's aping. I'm gonna say commentary at it's <laughs> Speaking of octopus energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no 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 one wants to see him go bust. <laughs> oh fucking hell. Okay, Alistair. Uh, I've forgotten the question, so I'm just going to say commentary. Excellent. Okay, that was a comment in the Guardian. Hey, <laughs> you're getting better at spotting them. Okay, last one. I'm going to give that that one's Jamie. When you were talking about Sorkin, I'm like, yeah, it does sound like someone impersonating Sorkin, and the columnists don't do that, so it's got to be comment. Thank you, Jamie. Now that the Conservatives apparently stand for employers just paying their people more, an idea that would have brought the ceiling crashing down on any Labour leader punting it without explaining how it was affordable in the absence of sustained economic growth, and which strangely doesn't seem to apply so much to public sector employees working for a Conservative-run state, the opposition has assumed the mantle of flint-hearted realists, arguing that rising wages mean little if they're overtaken by rising prices. Brackets. They're right, but as all Remainers know, that's not the same as being popular. Close brackets, comment or commentary. Oh, that is a hell of a fucking sentence. <laughs> Fuck you, whoever you are. That was that was like it was going well until the fucking parenthetical. <laughs> yeah, the um, parenthetical makes it a comment for sure. Yeah, I don't know actually. I don't know. It feels like an opinion piece. It feels like if you went to, to the me. new European, David, you have really plumbed new lows. <laughs> <laughs> I have not went to the new European. <laughs> I, I think commentary, but I can't guess who. It's, okay. just, it's got that kind of register to me. Anyone else? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Comment. Just crack on. That was commentary. That was Gabby Hensliff in The Guardian. Fuck. <laughs> Fucking In that same four. article, right? In the same article. She was um, spouting off about how good uh, Wes Streeting's 10 for 10 idea was. 
Uh, and I don't think we I don't think we talked about uh, ten for ten, no, right? I don't I don't think um, I don't think McNuggets are that expensive. <laughs> <Is> it... <laughs> oh, so ten for ten is an idea that by ten years old, every child should have the opportunity to do ten things. Here are these ten things: sweep chimneys, join, make oh, soccer ten, balls. It's ten specific things. I thought it was it's just ten specific like... things. He's no, he's actually li- listed stuff. Join in competitive team sports. Fair enough. Shit. Play an okay. instrument. Sure. Shit. Learn to swim. Yeah. All right. All so far they're fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Take part in drama and performing arts. Yeah. Okay. Go on a holiday Visit weekend the with s- the royal family. Close. <laughs> Visit the seaside and the countryside. Uh, now sure. you're getting a bit okay. wanky. Carry on. Experience museums, galleries, and heritage sites. Mm. Okay, yeah, all right, fine. Take part in camping trips and overnight residentials. Nope, you lost me again. Camping Carry on. Cool. Learn to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sure, 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 okay, right. Use a library. If there is one. What library? Yeah. Okay. If, if, if they still exist. And fine. finally, take part in debating. Ah, oh, <laughs> oh, I thought this was all mild mannered garbage, but that last one, fuck me. Like, uh, there, there's some things in there which is like, yes, we should indeed allow our children to take part in our cultural heritage, like actual cultural heritage, not the bullshit that's chinned up, but uh, fucking hell. The first nine of those are just like fucking vague enough that you could just point at any child in the country and go, where they had that opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> it's not our fault. It's not our well, fault that yeah. they fucked it. Yeah, but it, like, it, yeah. it seems to me that, that this is probably just an opportunity to get fucking gnolls into primary schools or some shit. Yeah, this is just <laughs> which is like this one is of the most cursed fucking things that could ever happen. Lame students. This is the West. <laughs> <laughs> This is the West reading version of Let a Thousand Briefcases Bloom. Fuck me. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Just we hadn't mentioned that in the podcast, and I thought it was worth bringing up because Gabby Hensel put it in a fucking shit article. Okay. Um, so that's that's calling our commentary out done, and that's the episode done. Um, you may have noticed, how, if you follow the Twitter, that we have announced we are part of a collective um, of yes. other media outfits, which James is now going to talk about. David, you've done Another it again. Smooth bridge, <laughs> right at the end. No of the episode. fucking warning, and just like on the spot. Okay, right. So cut that. <clears throat> we should do this I every episode. That, just to surprise him. Uh, yeah, Ale. Uh, do you like chugging hot dog shit? <laughs> Sadly, our initial pitch that was rejected. You, our listener, do. Yes. Okay. More seriously. Um, Ale stands for Alternative Left Entertainment. It is a collective of us and other cool and good people who we like. Eleanor Yarniger, Com Radio, and Mr. Gump, and so many others, uh, who are all coming together to provide a mutual support platform where we're going to be talking about the same things and sharing ideas with each other and providing more content for you, the listener and watcher. So if you like the kind of stuff we do... Good news, there's other people who we are friends with who are doing similar things, who we want to steer you towards. So go check out www.alternativeleftentertainment.org and you can find out the sort of stuff we'll be doing. This episode has obliquely been about the problems of capitalism by way of the energy markets. And similarly, Com Radio has a episode out about capitalism because each month is going to be themed and this month's theme is capitalism. So... 
Um, if you like what we're doing and you want to see more of it, then please look at our friends as well. See what they're producing. So yeah, so that's Hale. And um, we're really excited about it. And it's going to build longer term into a regular thing. Um, you can expect lots more cross appearances. So Eleanor will be coming back on the pod. Sinan will be coming back on the pod. We'll be going on Com Radio and they'll be coming here. Like um, expect to see more Elijah too. I've got to say, whenever whenever Sinan comes on the comes on the show, it's um, always a herald of good things. <laughs> yes, <laughs> noted herald of not doom, Sinan SK the Crusader on Twitch. So uh, so yeah. So does that about cover it, David? That about covers it. Yeah. So yeah, you can um, catch all our pals there. You can catch us in the usual places, which is twitter.com forward slash praxiscast you can subscribe to the patreon patreon.com forward slash praxiscast or you can buy a t-shirt at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash praxiscast and you can catch me and jamie on twitch uh if this episode does go out on time which should be on thursday yes um, we will be streaming valheim tonight at 7 30 p.m uh english time Yes. yes. Twitch.tv forward slash Praxiscast. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yes. All right. Streaming in jail. Clogs are out the roads. We are gonna. We are now gonna go away and have a meeting to see how we can streamline this bit of the fucking episode because it takes too long to get through now. Catch you there, folks. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Keep the lights on. Expensive. <laughs>